Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. You know, there's uh, two terms I was thinking about when we look at this text. We hear of the term soulmates and we hear of the term friends. And I think if you're like me, soulmates carries a much, much deeper, richer idea of relationship compared to friends. When I think of friends, I think more of kind of buds and running around buddies. But when we look at Jonathan David, I think that what we see, we've literally been told in the scriptures and we'll be, we literally are told in our text today that they were knit at their souls. They were soulmates. But I want to clear the air. I, I looked up in Urban Dictionary. That's right, I'm quoting Urban Dictionary. Rebecca, this, last night or yesterday, whatever, she said, she said, uh, are you actually quoting from Urban Dictionary? I said, yes, I am. But this is to help uh, get a feel for what does culture think of when I say Jonathan and David were soulmates. And I'm gonna tell you, this is not what we mean when we hear it. But here's what they say. Uh, when the souls are ready to meet, fate and destiny contribute to the romantic bliss and the happiness where both partners are so immersed in the strong karmic connection. I don't know what that is, the karmic connection, but I imagine it has something to do with karma. The relationship between soulmates has a certain magical and mystical feel to it. The love is so strong, the chemistry is unexplainable, and the, I changed the words here, and the intimacy is mind-blowing. You know where I'm going. You know where they were going with that. Destiny makes sure these people find each other and gives two people the opportunity to have fabulous relationship, grow as people, and learn valuable lessons. A soulmate relationship is a concert being conducted by the universe. That's what we all want, right? I mean, I don't know what it is, but I want that, right? I mean, that's, I, I don't want y'all to think that that's the bar because I don't want everyone to feel jealous of Dana and my relationship because that's what we feel. But as I say that Jonathan and David are soulmates, what exactly do I mean? I take out the romantic part. In fact, when you read about their incredible friendship, which I'm going to call gospel friendship, it almost sounds weird to our, to our minds because it's such an incredible... In fact, I think that Jonathan and David's friendship is the greatest example of friendship in, throughout human history. And I think we all have within us a deep longing for this kind of friendship, gospel friendship. And I think that as we look at today, we're going to look at some characteristics of their gospel friendship. My prayer is that we continue to strive for this and not to settle for less. Now, I think having this kind of incredible friendship with one person, it's, it's rare. I mean, this is a beautiful gift from God. But... I think all of us should pursue this with other Christians to have incredible gospel friendship. Let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, would you help us as we take a closer look at Jonathan and David's friendship? Would you help us to understand what exactly it is? What, is the, what the characteristics of it are? And that we might enjoy these types of friendships more and more at a deeper level inside this church with other Christians. Lord, I think this is something you really have designed as a unique gift to Christians that we fail to enjoy so often. So I pray that you will help us really have gospel friendships that are profoundly wonderful because 
That's what brings you great glory, and it's so good for us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, turn your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 20. We come to chapter 20 and we see it is all focused on Jonathan and David and their conversations together where a lot of times we're moving fast through uh, events and there's plots and all that. Well, this chapter is all about their conversations. It's all about their relationship and that's why we're kind of parking it here and looking at their incredible gospel friendship. Now, what I'm going to do in this uh, message today is I'm going to take four characteristics of gospel friendship that I get from a sermon Tim Keller did based on Proverbs. He works through Proverbs and develops four characteristics of what I'm calling gospel friendships. And I'm going to lay that grid over the top of this text and see how Jonathan and David have a biblical friendship. That, that fleshes out what Proverbs, the wisdom literature of your scriptures, says this is gospel, this is biblical friendships. And I'm going to show you how David and Jonathan have that, and then I'm going to add a fifth characteristic for us to consider as well. So let's get going. David runs to Jonathan for help. We come to verse 1. David fled Naoth in Ramah, if you'll remember where we were last week, and he came and he said before Jonathan, remember, he's fleeing for his life. God's been providing for him a faithful friend, a faithful wife, and now he comes to Jonathan and he says to his dear friend, Jonathan, what have I done? what is my guilt why is uh, what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life why is your dad trying to kill me that's basically what he's saying remember he's running for his life king saul is david's is is jonathan's dad and king saul's trying to kill david so david is running for his life and where does he go In his great time of need, where does he go? He runs to his friend. That's not the likely place to go. I mean, Jonathan has a lot of reasons to be loyal to his dad. King Saul, i.e. Prince Jonathan, i.e. the one who would inherit the throne next. There's a lot of reasons not to go to him and say, dude, your dad's trying to kill me because he would likely say, yeah, that's right, you're dead. Quit trying to take my throne. But no, he goes to Jonathan because that's his friend. And that's where you go in times of need. The first quality of gospel friendship is the quality of constancy. The quality of constancy. To have this kind of friendship, it must be one where there's a consistent presence. There, each one of these qualities, I'm going to have a proverb that I, that I write that I give to you, I hope you'll jot down the reference because this week in community group, we're gonna work through these different Proverbs and these descriptions of their friendship. Constancy, Proverbs 18, 24. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know the old saying, blood is, is thicker than, no. This spiritual connection that they have is, is thicker than blood. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When things get tough, if you're going to be this kind of friend, if you want to enjoy this kind of friendship with someone, then you got to be a constant presence. You have to be available. You have to be consistently there for them when they need you. They can't be like we see everything else in our society, disposable. 
It can't be that we just kind of show up when we feel like it, go and be around them whenever it's convenient. There has to be a priority that says, I will be a constant presence in your life. You can count on me. If you want to have that kind of person be available for you, then you have got to be that kind of person for others. So David runs to Jonathan, knowing that Jonathan's that kind of friend. He's going to be there when I need him. He knew he could count on him. But think about the difficulty uh, that Jonathan, the difficult situation Jonathan is in. He is torn between his loyalties. He's got his dad, King Saul, who he loves. He may not be the greatest dad, but he loves him. He's got Jonathan, who is this incredible soulmate-type friend, like none other that he has. But he's also got his own personal preferences and desires in life. Of course, he would want to be the heir to the throne. But he knows also that God, who he worships, has chosen David to be the next heir to the throne. And now his dad is chasing his friend to kill him. And his friend has come to him and saying, what's up with your dad? What have I done wrong? And if he sides with David, then he loses the throne. If he sides with his dad, he loses a relationship with God. This is a Netflix series waiting to happen. Someone write it. Someone publish it. It's got all the plots and twists. And so what happens? So David comes to Jonathan pleading, I'm innocent, man. Why is your dad trying to kill me? What does Jonathan say? Listen to how the plot thickens. Verse 2. And he said to him, so this is Jonathan speaking, far from it. You're not going to die. My father doesn't, doesn't do anything without telling me. My father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It's not so. So Jonathan is denying to David what we as readers know is painfully obvious. Jonathan is saying, my dad's not trying to kill you, David. Now, as readers, we have to stop and go, well, wait a minute. What, why is he saying that? We've already seen the truth. The truth is King Saul is absolutely trying to kill David. He's chunked a spear at him three different times. He's been sending people out to get him. So at this point in their friendship, David is going, hmm, I thought I could trust him. I thought we were friends. I know his dad's trying to kill me. But Jonathan is either lying or he's clueless. Sums up. And there's an opportunity to not trust, not to assume the best in his friend. Anyone ever been in that position? Don't raise your hands, just in your heart. So what do you do when you have this person that you consider a dear friend and their actions or their words aren't lining up with your understanding and you have to go, wait a minute, can I trust them like I thought I could trust them? What did David do? Look how David responded in verse three. David vowed again saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes, Jonathan. And he thinks, don't let Jonathan know I'm trying to kill him lest he be grieved. But truly, I'm telling the truth, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So what's he doing there? The second quality of gospel friendship is candor. It's candor. 
Proverbs 27, verses 5 through 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A true friend may wound you in their love and faithfulness towards you, but that is better than an enemy who's really out to get you, but only offers you kisses. Gospel friendships require candor. It requires us to be honest with each other. A long time ago, someone came through Connection Group to join the church and they used this phrase that we've latched onto and used it for years. They called it the fake for your face. Where you walk into church and you go into the foyer and it's like, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Oh, we're good. How about them Bengals? They're awesome, right? Joe Burrow. The fake for your face. That's something we don't get behind or get underneath at the church because we're all good. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I've got no problems. I'm not suffering. I'm not struggling with sin. We're good. You good? I'm good. Good. Let's go hear the preacher, put some money on our plate, and let's go home and never to be friends. To have gospel relationships, there has to be candor. You have to be candid. You have to be honest. You have to be real. You have to be transparent. You have to say, are you doing good? Not so good. What's up? What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. That doesn't mean we're always like, I'm terrible. Oh man, I'm such a good Christian because I'm always miserable. It's not what we're saying. But when they're struggling, how are you doing? Well, actually the wife and I, we've been struggling lately. Really? You want to grab coffee this week and talk about it? Yeah, that'd be great, man. Cause I'm like, I'm in a bad place. Awesome. Let's get together. David had to have courage to have this kind of candor though. And it requires that. I mean, think about what, what David, the position he was in. He's like, okay, so if my suspicions, if, if, if I actually get totally vulnerable here and I'm a fool, Jonathan's about to kill me. His dad's out to kill me. Jonathan has proven his loyalty is with his dad, is with his own exaltation. And, and I'm gonna get... This is a bad, this is very vulnerable for David to say, hey man, I really mean it. I think your dad's, I know your dad's out to get me. It takes courage to have that kind of candor in a friendship. But I wanna caveat this, or I wanna put a little warning in there that the, the next qualification of a gospel friendship is carefulness, carefulness. Use candor, but also carefulness. In Proverbs 25, 20, listen to what the wisdom of the scripture says. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. If you walked outside right now and took off your your shirt and your clothes, and it'd be like, what are you doing? That's not appropriate. That's not the proper time to take your warm clothes off. It's cold outside. It's saying to be careful is to come in and if someone is heavy hearted and grieving, you don't sing a happy song and you don't just, hey, come on, everything's good. You have to be careful to pay attention to what's going on in their life and to do what is appropriate. It's to to give the proper response to the situation. Candid says speak the truth. Careful says speak the truth in love. Do what's appropriate for that time. We're not just a bunch. We're not saying, hey, to have this kind of relationship, you just gotta become the truth cop and drop 
truth bombs on everybody. It's no, that's not true. This is the way you should feel. No, you've got to be careful. To be careful means to be full of care about what you say and about what you do, about how you say it and about how you do it, about when to say it and about when to do it. It is being careful, caring about how what I say and do is going to impact my friend. But that's not the same as saying, I'm not gonna ever be courageous and speak the truth. It's speak the truth, but speak it in love at the right time. Get beyond the fake for your face, but do it in a gentle, careful way. Be wise. In verse four, we see the next characteristic building. Then Jonathan said to David, well, whatever you say, I'll do for you. Another way to say that is Jonathan says to David, What do you want me to do? What do you think we should do? You think my dad's out to get you? I don't think so. Yeah, he is. Well, then what do you say we should do then? Verse five, David said to Jonathan, here's what I think we should do. Behold, tomorrow is the new moon. So that's a Jewish festival meal, which someone must be ceremonial clean to attend. And he says, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. I'm supposed to be at your dad's dinner table at that feast. But let's do this. Let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at evening. And if your father misses me at all, then say this. David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem's city for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan, for his family. And if he says, good, if the king says, well, good, it'll be well with your servant, David. But if he's angry, then you know that harm is meant by him for me. So he comes up with this idea. He says, what should we do? And then he gives them wisdom. Here's how we should handle it. This fourth characteristic is counsel. Counsel, Proverbs 27, nine, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And so what the scriptures are saying that to have this kind of gospel friendship You've got to know the counsel of the Lord. You've got to know the word of God. You've got to know his wisdom, his priorities, his plan, what he says about us, what his commands are for us, what his will is for us, so that when a friend is in need and says, what should I do? You have godly counsel, biblical counsel to offer. You don't just have worldly advice. You don't just say, oh, well, Do this, balance your checkbook and that'll fix your worry. What does the word of God say? What do the scriptures say? Do you have the ability to offer biblical, faithful counsel to one another? That's what we see. Jonathan clearly had spiritual discernment. This is a safe way for us to determine, for you to see that your father's out to get me, for me to be in a safe place, but ultimately so that we can continue on according to what God wants us to do. What we see here is oftentimes this counsel is going to be costly to one's own personal agenda. Oftentimes, you're going to have to put your own personal agenda aside and offer God's agenda for the situation. Even if it means I may not be king, even if it means this, that, or the other, if It's God's will. You offer God's counsel to the person and trust the Lord will take care of you. So we see 
David and Jonathan both had the supreme agenda in their life was God's agenda. But I want you to look closely at verse eight. This is gonna build to our fifth and final characteristic of gospel friendship. Verse eight really is the, the heartbeat of it all in 12, 13, and 14. This is the heart of this text. David says this to Jonathan, verse eight. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For, for means the reason, the basis of my appeal that you as my friend will be kind to me as your servant, as your friend who's serving you, here's the reason. Because you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. The reason I expect you to be loving kindness towards me is because you and I are in a covenant relationship with the Lord God Almighty. And that defines and gives all context to our friendship. The basis of their friendship is not their common interest in sports. The basis of their friendship is not their common shared convictions about the importance of exercise. The basis of their friendship is not based in the common hobbies, shared experiences. That's what, as good as these friendships are, there's no comparison. That's what fraternity and sororities are based on. And as I thought about where is your mind as you hear this message, I would guess that most people would say the, the, best, the best friendships I've ever had, so much so that I'd call them my brothers, was their fraternity. We spent constant time together. We were there for each other. And we shared life experiences together, not to mention that most of those were sinful but boy, were we brothers. I would bleed for that brother. And I was in one. I tried to redeem it. I was the chaplain of that fraternity. As a pastor, I had to throw that in there, right? But what's the point? You've tasted, whether it's fraternity, sorority, or local organizations, junior league, where you're sharing common interest serving together, you've tasted how good friendships can be, but you ain't seen nothing yet. When it is rooted and grounded in the friendship of the Lord and that that is the, the context of your bond as brothers, as your union together as sisters, that's the word community, koinonia. The word community is common. It's the sharing in common, the sacrificial friendship and love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a spiritual union that the Holy Spirit has come into your life and who binds you with Christ as your friend, then binds you together with other brothers and sisters as your brothers and sisters in Christ where you share a common inheritance, a common mission, a common passion, a common set of values, a common everything is one in Christ. There is a profound, deeply spiritual soul relationship that you can enjoy that transcends all other earthly relationships. Have you tasted that? That's what we want 
in the church. That quality we're calling the fifth characteristic of gospel friendship is Christ-centered. Christ-centered. And the verse to go with it is John 15, 13, which was already read to you earlier in the service. Jesus himself says this to you. If you are one who is in Christ by faith, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And you, Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Like David said to to Jonathan, I am your servant. Doing what Jesus says reveals that you truly are in this friendship with Jesus. And he says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friend. Jesus has the God of the universe who spoke it into existence, who laid his life down that your sins might be forgiven, who took upon himself the brutality of the cross so you wouldn't have to, who gave you a share in his reign and rule in his throne. He says, you are my friend. Do you know Jesus as friend? It goes deeper than anything you can experience on this earth. And that's what we're trying to provide for you at this church. We want you to know that kind of relationship with one another. We want you to, you know, Jonathan and David is just one of those treasures that, but we should all strive for that. Some of you may already have that and and you should never give up going deeper and deeper in friendship, soul friendships in Christ. Scripture says that by your love for one another, will the world know that you are my disciples. When you live this way, you glorify God, you display an incredible otherworldly friendship that people in fraternities and sororities and school and athletic organizations would love to taste and see how incredible that is. It's rooted in the Lord Jesus. In verse 12, Jonathan said to David, and I see in this conversation how intertwined their relationship with one another is with their covenant with the Lord. This is such an interesting, look carefully at the words of verse 12. Jonathan said to David, quote, the Lord, I see him looking up at the heavens, the Lord, the God of Israel be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, I will find out. And then he looks down at David and he says, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? God is my witness. God, you hear what I'm promising. David, I will truly tell you the truth about my dad. You can count on me to be faithful to you because God is at the center of our friendship. But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I don't disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And listen to this, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. It is all about the Lord is at the center of our relationship and that's why you can trust me. In the scriptures, the friendship is the beginning of it. Did you know that the person you marry is just a romantic taking that to the next level, but this, man, what if this is the center of your marriage? 
What if this is the center of your friendships? What a profound, glorious gift from God. And we continue to see in verse 14 how the Lord is at the root of their friendship, their relationship. Jonathan knows the Lord has chosen David as the king. Therefore, Jonathan says, I'm gonna be loyal to David as the king. Verse 14, Jonathan says to David, if I'm still alive after this meal with my dad, show me, this is now Jonathan speaking to David, the future king, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. I'm showing you the steadfast love of the Lord. Now in the future, I want you to show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. For when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan then made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Do you see the picture of the gospel here? David is the Jesus-like figure. Jonathan is kind of the position we're in. He's being forced to choose his loyalties. Will you be loyal to your father, to your family? Will you be loyal to your own plans to become the king? Or will you be loyal to God's chosen king? And like Jonathan, we must align ourselves with God's chosen king. And when we do, we are placing our hands in the trust and confidence that he will be loyal and faithful to us. That when Christ returns and it's judgment day and God gives him victory over all those who opposed him, I will be counted a member of his household. That's what you get when you're a friend with Jesus. the shared covenant experience of the Lord, being friends with Jesus is the only way to experience this kind of friendship. There's no other way. Our story quickly, we'll wrap it up in verses 18 through 22. Jonathan and David come up with this plan where they're gonna use arrows. David's gonna be hiding in the field. Jonathan's gonna go sit with his dad, figure out what's going on. And if he comes back to the field, if he shoots an arrow a certain way, then he's telling David, run for your life. And if he doesn't, then you're safe. And so they start to carry out the plan and we see the plan being carried out. Verse 27, on the second day, first day he sat there at the table, Saul didn't get freaked out. Second day, Jonathan is sitting there at the table on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty and Saul said to Jonathan, his own son, why has not the son of Jesse, he won't even say his name, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, according to their plan, David earnestly asked leave to me to go to the Bethlehem. He said, let me go for the clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go and be with my brothers. For this reason, he's not at the table, at the king's table. And this said, Saul off. And listen to what Saul does in verse 30. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Yes, that is a cuss word in scriptures spoken by King Saul. (laughs) Do Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse? I know what you're doing. You chose David over me. This is to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you will not be king, you fool. 
As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me. Don't you want to be king? And he'll surely die. Jonathan has everything to gain personally. Just be loyal to your dad and you get everything that you ever wanted. But what does he say? Verse 32, Jonathan said to Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? And Saul hurled a spear at him. (laughs) So good thing he's not a good aim. Jonathan knew his father was determined to put David to death. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger. You see his loyalties. He ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David. Think about that. He wasn't grieved that he just gave up the throne. He wasn't grieved that his dad's trying to kill him. Talk about dad issues. He's grieved for his friend, David, because his father had disgraced him. Jonathan's covenant loyalty to the Lord was his deepest loyalty. And out of that loyalty to the Lord flowed the loyalty where the Lord's loyalty was, which was the Lord said, David's going to be king. In the last verses, we see that he ran back to the field. He shot the arrow, said, run for your life. And in the parting beautiful scenes, Jonathan says to David in verse 42, go in peace because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. This friendship will never end because it's rooted in Christ. And he rose and departed. Jonathan went into the city, never to be mentioned again. Fade dark. Do you know Christ this way? That is the root and foundation of you having soul brothers and sisters in Christ that will be mind-blowing how rewarding they are. If you want that kind of friendship, you gotta be that kind of friend. You've gotta be constant in people's lives. You've gotta be candid. You gotta be careful. You've gotta offer biblical godly counsel. And it's got to be rooted and grounded in Christ. I want to give you a compliment. The thing I hear most about when people come in here, the thing they say is, these people are so loving. That person that was talking about fake for your face said, that doesn't happen here. Y'all don't do the fake for your face. Y'all are, something's different here. I give God all the glory. That is because you are making strides in, through membership in this church, being each other's lives and doing this, and God is being glorified. Keep on pursuing that kind of level of friendship for his glory. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that people who hear, hear who do not know you as friend will come to know you as friend, that you reconcile them from enemies to friends by your death on the cross and that they may pledge their loyalty to you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to build this church deeper and deeper 
in the gospel of Jesus Christ, deeper in our friendships with you, that more friendships with one another can continue to go deeper and deeper. And anyone here who longs for that kind of friendship, Lord, would you help them to to learn how to have the courage to root themselves deeper in Christ, to have consistency and candor and carefulness and counsel. It's a gift from you, Lord, this kind of friendship. Help us to to experience it more and more for your glory and for our good. It's in Christ's name.